Hey, IC Warriors. Have you been feeling stuck on your journey to learn your unique triggers? I used to feel this way too until I started investigating my diet triggers through an elimination diet. But I'm not going to lie to you. The process was not perfect or even close to it. Fast forward five or so years and I'm now an IC dietitian helping other people with IC minimize their symptoms. And I want to help you take on the elimination diet with success, saving you time, money, and energy long term. To help you, I created a free masterclass on diet for IC. The class covers how the IC diet was created and why it shouldn't be followed long term, how to identify your diet triggers, my personal elimination diet protocol that I use with my clients, and the top five most common elimination diet mistakes that I see as a interstitial cystitis dietitian. After watching the masterclass, you'll feel confident in your ability to conduct an elimination diet to identify your unique diet triggers and get that much closer to remission from IC. You can watch the free masterclass now by clicking the link in the show notes. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, a registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of ICU. Today, we are going to talk about all things Kegels and To help me do that, I have Darla Cathcart with me. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist with 20 years of experience. So welcome to the show, Darla. Hi, thanks, Callie, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm so excited. And I forgot to ask you, where are you located? So I currently live in Conway, Arkansas, which is uh, central Arkansas, close to Little Rock. I grew up in Louisiana. So Louisiana is kind of my stomping grounds, but I was born in Michigan. Oh, wow. You've been <laughs> um, all over. Yeah. yeah. So I have a weird convoluted story of all the places I've lived, but currently I live in Arkansas. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So can you give the listeners a little background on you and how you got into the world of public for physical therapy? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I went to PT school in the year 2000 and going into school, I heard about pelvic PT. And at that point it was really it was a really young profession in our country. You know, this profession started in the 70s in our country. Um, and so going into school, I heard about it. And it was just this like, I just knew that that's what I was going to do. So I was the weird girl in school that every project I somehow made it about women's health and pelvic health, like neuro project, like, oh, MS and bladder issues. <laughs> um, so all through school, that was me. I got my first job in an outpatient ortho clinic. And um Everybody knew that I wanted to do public health and I was trying to go to courses and get educated. And so then they started giving me all the pregnant patients. Um, And so then it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, So that's really kind of how I got into public health. My my sister had um, endometriosis and pelvic pain issues. My mom has had bladder issues. She has actually been recently diagnosed with IC. So um, I've been just kind of, I've watched their journeys with some different pelvic conditions. And so I think that was just sort of part of my calling. Um, and then a few years ago, I had the opportunity to uh, to get a PhD and in doing my dissertation research, I've really focused on uh, my research project, focused on working with patients with lifelong vaginismus, 
So, you know, uh, pain with intercourse essentially um, and using uh, vaginal trainers or dilators for addressing that. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like you have always known that you wanted to get into this. So that's amazing. Yeah. It's kind of wild. I, I, when I was cleaning out a closet, um, after I'd gotten into PT school or a few years after I'd gotten into to, to doing physical therapy. And I found this paper that I had written in college that was about um, painful periods. And it was like a tech, it was an English technical writing paper. <laughs> so I was already just focused, like that was just always my calling was like, how can we help people with vaginas and uteruses? How can we help them have a better life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So when you and I were chatting initially about what we wanted to talk about on this episode, you were like, let's talk about Kegels. And uh, yeah. I was really excited that you brought that up because that is a hot topic in the interstitial cystitis community. And we always kind of, I say we as a community, but we we kind of look at that as a, a red flag. If somebody is going to pelvic floor physical therapy with I see, and some um, a therapist tells them to do Kegels. Everyone on like support groups will be like, "Oh, that's a red flag." You know, you need to go to someone else. They don't know what they're doing, and so it's it's great that you want to talk about this. So let's first yeah. have you define what a Kegel is for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is such an important topic because it can be nuanced. So. It's so great to hear from you that, you know, in your communities, you guys are like, hey, guys, this is, you know, red flag for something that may not be the best in therapy. And and I think it's so good to be able to have those conversations, but then also to realize that something prescribed appropriately may actually be helpful. So, so what a Kegel is, so a lot of your listeners probably have some familiarity with the term and its history, but um, Dr. Kegel, Arnold Kegel in the 1940s, so he developed this exercise um, focused at you know, women after they had had babies um, for strengthening the pelvic floor. And what he had was this little thing called a perineometer that looks kind of like a, a big tampon that was inserted vaginally. And the patient was asked to squeeze around that. And what he found was people that could squeeze at 20 millimeters of mercury or more, so like a blood pressure cuff reading, that those folks tended to have less leakage. So he would have them do these exercises to prevent urine leakage. Um, So to contract the muscles, if you have a vagina, then you can squeeze the muscles around the vagina up and in. So same thing for the anus. So you can kind of imagine that you're kind of pulling the anus up into the body. You can imagine you're using your labia to pick up a marble off the chair or that you're squeezing around a tampon or holding in gas without clenching your butt cheeks. Um, And then the opposite motion, because this can also be a part of pelvic floor muscle training, um, is to to bear down. So this is where you would actually um, relax the pelvic floor muscles completely and gently push out as if you're pushing the anus away from the body or pushing a tampon out of your vagina, it should feel like you get a little bulge of your labia outward. So that would be a, a bearing down motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because my most recent pelvic floor physical therapist, she had this machine that uh-huh. she kind of hooked me up to and was Bio looking feedback. at, what is it called? Biofeedback. Biofeedback, yeah. And she basically was looking to see, I guess, the the muscle contractions and she would have me bear down and, and get the data that, I don't know, was coming out of this biofeedback machine. Yeah. And she determined that bearing down was something that I needed to practice outside of 
my sessions with her. Mm-hmm. And she actually told me also that Kegels like wouldn't really be harmful for me, but she didn't really think I needed to do them. So right. that was yeah. a really interesting experience. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of folks, a lot of folks with IC don't need them, but we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So when it comes to Kegels, I mean, who who are they appropriate for and who are they not appropriate for? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that really gets into an assessment of the muscles themselves. So if you're coming to see me as a patient in therapy, then I'm going to do an examination of your muscle muscles. So typically that's done. Um, and you've had other pelvic PTs come on that kind of talk about, you know, we typically will insert one glove, lubricated finger vaginally, and then we'll assess a couple of things. So one thing that we're looking at is the tone. So if you right now, if you just touch your bicep while it's relaxed and feel what it feels like, um, you know, if it's a good, healthy muscle, then it should feel kind of spongy like sponge cake. So that's the first thing we're looking at is what is that tone like? And, and if it's unhealthy, it's either sort of weak and flaccid, which most folks with IC don't have a weak, flaccid muscle. Usually you have the opposite where the muscles kind of tense and tight. And that's when I say that the muscle tone feels like a hard brownie. So you go in and you feel it and you're like, oh, there's like a little hard brownie in there. So folks who have a hard brownie, you know, we don't want to just be giving them strengthening Kegels per se, but we may give you some gentle contract, relax, breathing exercises that are a little more nuanced for, for helping to elicit some relaxation, like with using vaginal trainers, things like that. So I would say first, it depends on the muscle tone. So if you have too much tone, just doing Kegels for strengthening is not appropriate. If you have normal tone or good tone, or if you have less than normal tone, then those folks doing, um, you know, some different gradations of exercise could potentially be helpful for, you know, controlling a bladder urge or for doing some of the the bladder training um, for kind of working on spacing out. And, And so it really needs to be very individualized to the person, um, Mm -hmm. and based on what's, what's going on with them. Okay. Got it. And are Kegels different from pelvic floor muscle training? So you'll hear those two terms kind of used interchangeably. So um, when you think about, and this is where a lot of pelvic PTs are really like, you know, let's get away from the term Kegels um, because it is a very confusing term because you hear Kegel and you think, okay, I'm going to hold my breath and I'm going to squeeze and raise my eyebrows, right? And squeeze as hard as I can. Um, And that's really not good for most people, right? Um, So fast forward, you know, 80 years, and we now have this whole profession of pelvic health PTs who've kind of taken this exercise and said, you know, how can I nuance it for the patient in front of me, right? And so, you know, if you're coming in, so I have a patient right now who has IC, she's um, older, she's in her eighties. Um, and she has actually good normal tone of her muscles, but she has some tenderness. Um, and so for her, I really nuance doing some very gentle pelvic floor muscle contractions. And she finds that those help her with being able to control urgency and not have leakage when she's needing to get to the restroom. Um, so that, so it can be, but it is very gentle, right? And so I talk to patients about, you know, your pelvic floor muscle, we might think of it being on a dimmer switch. So sometimes I need just a gentle light squeeze because I'm trying to inhibit the bladder. Sometimes I need a hard squeeze because I'm about to cough or sneeze, right? And so we can kind of nuance the amount of contraction based on what you need that contraction for. Um, 
And so for my patients, if they tell me, you know, I have lots of, you know, leakage um, on the way to the bathroom versus with a cough, I'm going to nuance how they're training that muscle so that they can functionally use it the way that they want it to. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Random question, but is yeah. there a, is there a statistic out there that talks about the percentage of people diagnosed with IC that also have pelvic floor dysfunction? Yeah. It's about 75%. That is a lot. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that, but like yeah. that, uh -huh. we need to further research that and, and come yes. up with something. Cause you know, do you, do you feel like a lot of people, and, and I was kind of talking to Dr. Janelle about this in a previous episode, but interstitial cystitis being that like umbrella diagnosis mm -hmm. where, you know, you can't really figure out what is the cause of those yep. symptoms. Do you feel like pelvic floor dysfunction is yeah. the main cause for a lot of people with IC? Yeah, I think that there are folks who, you know, and if you really look into some of the IC research itself, um, and I'm sure you've probably read a lot of this, um, you know, there's the IC where they're, they can go in with a scope and actually see, you know, inflammation or ulcerations or actual changes in the bladder. You know, if they were to take out a little biopsy of that bladder wall, it looks different from what you would expect the bladder to look like. And then there are folks with this sort of like, you have this IC diagnosis, but they check your bladder out and they say, actually, your bladder looks fine and normal and there's nothing wrong with you, which is yeah, the worst thing, me. which is the worst <laughs> thing that patients can hear. It's so frustrating, right? Because then you think, am I crazy? Am I being yeah. medically gaslit here? What's happening? Mm -hmm. And so I think for those people that, that those folks, that it's more of pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, maybe kind of a heightened sensitivity you know, of their, their nervous system and their pelvic floor. Um, maybe there's some hormonal inputs, you know, there can be different things, but I think for a lot of those folks, the pelvic floor is probably a big piece of that puzzle. And I think it's probably not one thing. I think it's probably multiple things adding up and that's what makes it hard to diagnose. Um, Definitely. The problem is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and personally, like my, I do a pelvic floor dysfunction and I know I've had it for probably the majority of my life. And I find that stress only makes it worse. And yep. those are two, you know, completely separate things, but they feed into one another. And when I'm stressed, I clench my pelvic floor. And I hear yep. this from so many yes. icy warriors. I yep. mean, I think mm -hmm. a lot of us are doing that. We're, we're just kind of going squeezing. through life, squeezing our pelvic floors that we don't yeah. even realize it. And huh? for me, it's like when I'm in a situation where I could right now be recording with you and I'm clenching my pelvic floor. Like when I realize I'm doing it, it's already too late. And that can be super frustrating. Like, how do I get it to release? And so that's where I'll work with patients as far as, you know, one of the things, as you know, is getting some manual therapy to help get that tone normalized again, right? So that can be the therapist doing some of that intravaginal, or if you don't have a vagina, some intrarectal work on that muscle. Um, it could be you using your vaginal trainers or dilators or using your, your pelvic wand. Um, but those things can kind of help normalize the tone. The other thing that happens is just some awareness. Um, and so one of the things that I really talk with patients about is sort of this prophylactic 
like check-ins with your pelvic floor. So early on, I'm going to have patients. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to set a little um, gentle reminder on your phone. You don't want it to be like a, you know, something that makes you squeeze. <laughs> it needs to be a gentle little ding, but just setting a little reminder or having a little sticky note at your computer, something that is a, okay, what is my pelvic floor doing right now? So that you can start picking up on it before you get to that space of like, oh shoot, I've been squeezing really hard because I'm really focused or, or stressed or on the phone with this person or whatever it is that is your trigger for pelvic floor squeezing, kind of starting to identify at the at the beginning stages of, of, of you know, my pelvic floor muscles are squeezing just because I'm sitting here drinking my coffee, <laughs> mm -hmm. for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like having a, a cup that gets to a point where it overflows and that's where the flare comes from and if you check in at various points throughout the day you could probably prevent that cup from overflowing yeah yeah I, I feel like that that cup analogy just works in so many different scenarios I was just talking about it last week yeah. um, with a dietitian on this show and it, it just applies to so many different things yeah, yeah, because it is those sort of additive things right like you're identifying that it's the stress and it's the it's the it's the repetition of and the ongoing it's the squeezing all day that becomes the problem so it's not doing a little squeeze here and there it's that I clench my pelvic floor all day long mm -hmm. so I talk with patients about how you know a lot of the folks that I see that have pelvic floor muscle dysfunction where they tend to contract all the time um I talk with them about you know how some people maybe they scowl when they're stressed or they you know they you know, tense through their shoulders. So maybe they get tension headaches and folks with pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, maybe they do that too. But oftentimes their main thing is the pelvic floor. And I think it's because these are folks who um, for maybe it's their job, maybe it's their personality, maybe it's was, you know, the way they were raised, but your job is to kind of, you know, keep the peace, stay cool, have a cool facade, um, and don't let folks see that you're stressed or upset, right? So I see this a lot with, um, you know, patients who are managers, for instance. So when some, that person knocks on my door at 3 p.m. and says, hey, can I talk to you? Um, as a manager, you know, you can't be like, this is not a good time, right? Like, you have to be like, yeah, sure. And so the safe place to hold tension is now your pelvic floor. So now your pelvic floor almost becomes like a stress ball um, mm -hmm. that, you're just, that you're just squeezing. So kind of getting that awareness of, knowing, starting to figure out what are my triggers so that I can stop it right at the outset of like that person just walked in the door. Okay. What's my pelvic floor doing? Okay. Can I let it go? Can I take a deep cleansing breath? Maybe I now have a stress ball on my desk that I squeeze instead or, or so finding some other outlet to, to move that stress through the body. Um, there's a really great book. I don't know if you've, um, seen it. You, I don't think you and I talked about this yet, but, um, Emily Nagoski, um, she has a book, um, she and her, her sister, I can't think of her sister's name, but they have a book called, um, burnout and it's, about, heard of it. oh yeah, you, I think you would love it. It's about breaking the stress cycle. Um, it's about dealing with the stress cycle and it, and it's geared to cisgender females. So it's geared towards women. Um, so um, burnout. Okay. I'm currently on Amazon buying like, it. It right it's now. only $8. What a bargain. Uh, get it. Yeah. You're like, like fast track I'll link them. this in the show notes too. Like, I swear we're going to sell them out. You're welcome. Emily. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I, 
posted a video on TikTok a couple weeks ago about the fire crotch bomb that I use. It has peppermint. Yes. In it. It's yes. the best thing ever. And yes. it sold out within a few hours of me posting that. that. Is- I was like, oh no. And awesome. then there's only it. one person who makes it. And I'm like messaging her like, can you please make some yeah. more or like tell us how to make it ourselves? <laughs> I love it. That is so great. I know you were talking about on the episode. I was like, that sounds really like amazing stuff. It's the best. It really is. Um, And so many of my clients use it and it's just really great. If you're someone who likes that cooling sensation. Yeah. It's it's so interesting because about half of people with, I see like the cool and other people like heat. And to me, it's like, I would never use heat but other people love it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I tell folks is, you know, if you're in a really acute flare and there's inflammation, cold is the better option, even if you don't love it. So even if you have to alternate, like do some heat, then do some cold, um, cold is going to reduce inflammation and it's also going to calm down muscle spasm. Heat tends to feel better more for that. It's you're not inflamed, just your muscles are just kind of angry and tense. So both both can be good. I tell folks like figure out what works for your body. And sometimes it's both, depending on the situation. Yeah. That goes for a lot of things with IC. It's like you need to figure out what works for you. You have to find the solution yep. to your unique puzzle. I say this every day. I feel like a broken record, but that's really what it is. We're just such a diverse population. Like whatever works for one person might not work for the next. And so you need to find Uh things that work for you. And it's probably going to be different from other people. Exactly. Yeah. And that's one thing that I've really loved in listening to your podcast is just that very pragmatic approach of, you know, there's not a blanket answer for everyone. It's a, what's going to work for the person in front of me. Um, And, and what is it, what are the things that are their specific triggers and I talk to patients too about, you know, sometimes your triggers are dose specific, right? So maybe a little bit of stress and a cup of coffee aren't a problem, but maybe a lot of stress or two cups of coffee is a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so 100%. Yep. Figuring out that dosing for yourself and being able to, you know, make decisions around that, I think is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where identifying your triggers is so important because if you know that, you can only have one cup of coffee when you're feeling a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's great. It's empowering you to yeah. still have that, still enjoy your coffee, but also not poke the bear exactly. and cause a flare up. Tiptoe around the bear. Tiptoe around the right. bear. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you have to take pre leaf that day, then so be it. That's mm-hmm. just like learning your limits can improve your confidence and that improves your overall quality of life. Absolutely. And, and doing the things too, that maybe I have coffee, but maybe I water sandwich it, right? Like in my water before and after. So I have my water bread and my coffee is the meat, you know? <laughs> so I like that. I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> so I, I encourage patients to aim for, I'm like, you know, figure out what works for you. But in the beginning, kind of a good lo- guideline for a lot of folks is a, is a two thirds approach. So for every one, cup of irritant, you want two cups of water to flush that out and dilute. So, um, so that can be a good guideline as a starting point for a lot of folks. That's an interesting, um, thing because, uh, and 
of course, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but a lot of people with IC will restrict their fluid intake because they they think it's going to help with frequency and urgency. Can you explain why that may not be the case? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so we actually even have a TikTok. I, I feel um, I feel very old when I say that I have a TikTok. You have a TikTok? Yeah, we are. Has a TikTok. <laughs> yeah, so we actually did a little TikTok demo on this. We are definitely not viral at this point, but my, <laughs> you know, my gal, Sarah is working on it. She's working on it. But so I did a little demo where, so imagine a kitchen sink that's full of water. So you have this like fresh water that you're ready to wash the dishes. And let's say that you're, you're putting your dishes in and you have a cup that has just like a little bit of Dr. Pepper, a little bit of coffee that gets accidentally dumped in the sink. That little bit of a couple of ounces of, you know, let's call it dirty for lack of a better word, dirty water going into the clean water, you're probably not going to empty the whole sink out, right? Like that's probably, you have enough water to dilute what's going into that sink. So now let's take that same sink of water. Now let's dump in a two liter soda. Now, what are you going to do now with that sink? Are you going to wash dishes in that sink? Probably not. You're probably going to have to empty it out (laughs) and put fresh water in. Um, And so when you think about, you know, water is really going to dilute what's going into your bladder. So, you know, if um, I worked with a a urogynecologist who said, you know, anything that would splash into your eyes, so that the the inner side of your eyelid is a mucous membrane. He said, anything that would splash into your eyes and potentially cause burning. He said, I want you to think of it having that same effect on the inside of your bladder, potentially if your bladder is sensitive that it's that same mucous membrane. He said, but if you really, so he said, then if you go to a wash station and wash it out, you're good usually, right? And so if you think of whatever I put into my body that could be potentially irritating, if I bring in more water, that can now dilute that out. Let's take a quick break so I can talk to you about something exciting I just launched. So as an icy warrior, you may be feeling a little anxious with summer coming up and all the parties, barbecues, and vacations that might be coming your way. It's at these events that you'll likely encounter plenty of tasty summer foods that unfortunately may not be so nice to your bladder. Well, I'm here to make sure you don't miss out on delicious summer flavors just because of your diet restrictions. Introducing my summer e-cookbook bundle. It contains over 100 bladder-friendly summer-themed recipes that were hand-selected by two IC dietitians. The bundle contains recipes from our IC-friendly Summer Eats e-cookbook, mocktails and party snacks e-cookbook, and our icy-friendly smoothie recipe e-cookbook. Trust me, this bundle has got your taste buds covered. Don't let your dietary needs hold you back from enjoying mouthwatering dishes this summer. Grab our e-cookbook bundle today and indulge in flavor-packed recipes hand-selected by registered dietitians. Get ready to savor summer without irritating your bladder. The bundle with a total value of $75 is available to you for just $50, meaning you're saving a whopping $25. Click the link in the show notes to grab the bundle now. And if you love a recipe, make sure to let me know. Mm -hmm. Is it similar to like if you had a cut in your finger and and you poured, you know, something on it and it burned? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Happens to me a lot. I'm a finger picker and I'm not proud of it, but it is... It is something that I've always, I'm doing it right now. I need to sit on my hands. 
It's, uh, so that, that takes me back to that burnout book because that is your way of sort of moving the stress through your body, right? Like it's like a fidget spinner for you. It's like a built-in fidget spinner, right? Yes, it <laughs> is. It really is. Um, I've never found anything that I can like actually enjoy do not enjoy but like something that is the same like feels the same for me in terms of like that outlet and fidget spinners and things like that just don't do it for me not the thing yeah I have a friend who's a pen clicker like she'll click a pen (laughs) she's like but I can't do it everywhere probably so annoying for everyone Well, and, 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 but she's also very conscious of the humans around her. She's like, I can do it in a room by myself, but I can't do it if I'm out in, you know, a coffee shop, I can't just be sitting there clicking my pen. But yeah. so hers is also foot tapping, you know, tapping. I've always been the person that shakes my leg up and uh-huh. down. Yep. And like the whole table is shaking. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. yeah. I, 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 re- I resonate with that real hard. I'm the same way. <laughs> uh, our bodies are just so interesting. They really are fascinating. They really are. Yeah. yeah. So in the burnout book, um, the author talks about, she says, you know, we can't, she said, life is full of stress and we can't get rid of stress. Um, so when folks talk about managing stress, it makes you feel like, like, okay, am I putting a bear in a cage? Like, what, what am I doing with this stress? Um, but she talks about doing things to move stress through the body. So she talks a lot about, you know, um, your fight, flight, or freeze, And she said, well, what happens to a lot of folks is instead of fight or flight, which helps move the cortisol through the body, what a lot of folks do is we end up freezing. So we squeeze the pelvic floor, we tense the jaw, and now you have all that stress that just like sits in the body and gets your, all of your systems, your hormones, your inflammation, just all riled up. And so she talks about finding, starting to find ways to move that stress through the body. So that's what you do with picking your finger, right. Or twirling the hair or tapping the foot. Like that's a way of like, okay, I'm moving this stress through the body. So she talks about, um, things like, so she gives examples like, um, you know, some people may benefit from a primal screaming, session that you just go out in the woods and scream at the top of your lungs. Um, she said, or it might be going to, you know, karaoke night or having a karaoke machine in your house like that. She says it should be sort of physical, um, or, or noisy. So you're singing, you're screaming, you're laughing. So laughing, like going to a movie and lots, lots of laughter. So that can move the stress through the body exercise. So, you know, going for a run, doing, you know, going to the gym, whatever it is that works for you. Um, I have a friend who, um, she, every now and then will post on Facebook, like, well, I just went to the woods and threw a bunch of plates at a tree. <laughs> so she'll take like some cheap dollar store plates and just throw plates at a tree and break them. They have like <laughs> smash rooms yes. now. Yes. So like smash rooms, that's the whole idea, right? Like you're just like, Oh, getting all of that cortisol release. Um, yes. like doing something with it that helps to move that stress through your body in, in a positive way. So it's not frozen in your body. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, those are great ideas for people listening who have some stress. You know, if you have woods around you, go into the woods and just let it out. Or uh, can you scream into a pillow? <laughs> yeah. No, why not? Right. Yeah. Scream into a pillow. Maybe, maybe like or singing closet. in your car at the top of your lungs. Yes. Yes, I think singing in your car at the top of your legs, a little car aoki. Yes, okay. I would say like at least once every three months, I have a session like that where I will just go crazy with like Disney princess songs, like a whole new world yes. or um, that reflection song from Mulan. I don't know no, what it's... about it. <laughs> it just really gets you. 
It gets you. It gets me. I love it Mulan. really does. Oh, yeah. That's so um, funny. For me, for me, it's Pitch Perfect. <gasps> yes. I mean, it's so much good singing along in Pitch Perfect. Like if I'm having a day where I just need to like belt it out, like pulling up yes. some, some Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Yes. The other movie that did that for me had that effect was Eurovision with Will Ferrell. You know, I still haven't watched it. I've been- <gasps> that watched movie it. is one of my top five favorite movies. It is so good, in my opinion. Like, the music is fantastic. Okay, I'm going to have to add it to my list. It's been a, Watch it's it this been weekend. on my list, but I'm going to have to, like, move, move it, it to the top of your list. I'm going to move it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, so to bring it all back. Yes, bring it all back. Bring it all back. The Kegels. Um, why might people with IC be told to not do Kegels? And is a blanket statement of never do Kegels appropriate for people with IC? Yeah. So, um, so I think what happens is in in healthcare sometimes is that you know if we see sort of a trend of something that oh gosh, lots of folks with IC tend to have this increased tone, overactivity, like their muscles are staying too tight and tense, then there can be sort of this swing that is a, okay, then you should never contract your pelvic floor. Well, now potentially, you know, kind of the same way that I hear you talking about, like, let's not create food fear. I think one of the things we want to be careful to do is I don't want to make you afraid to like contract your pelvic floor, like if you're going to cough or sneeze, or oh, if I'm like, I have this urge and I'm trying to get to the bathroom, like, is it okay to squeeze my pelvic floor a little, right? So I think folks get told, don't do Kegels because they have all of this tone, which is which is an appropriate line of thought, 100%. So if you've had a therapist tell you don't do Kegels, they are totally appropriate. But now maybe it's coming to a, okay, can I use you know these exercises in a way that actually could be helpful for me? Um, and so I would say a blanket statement of you know telling everyone with IC to never do Kegels, I think blanket statements in general tend to not be super helpful. Um, and what's interesting is the American Neurologic Association, um, they actually put out in 2022, they updated their guidelines and said, you know, people with IC shouldn't be given Kegels. Um, but then when you go in and actually read the paper, they don't have any research to support that. Um, and they even say, you know, we don't have research that shows that Kegels negatively affect people. We just know that manual therapy helps them. Um, and so I think that if I were just giving you like squeeze as hard as you can and do, you know, 30 reps a day, like I would have no basis for that. So I think there's kind of this place in the middle of, can we use some gentle, you know, squeeze, release, you know, bear down. Is that something that, so you, you talked about, you know, you find these times when your muscle is just squeezing and you're like, and then I can't seem to get it to release. Right. So if we go to sort of a stuck drawer analogy, if you have a drawer that you're trying to pull out and it's stuck, sometimes if you push it back in, you know, you can kind of get the thing unstuck and then you can pull it out. So one strategy that I'll have patients do when they say, you know, when I find myself squeezing, I don't know how to let it go. I'll say, okay, here's what I want you to do is I want you to take a breath in. And then as you exhale, I want you to gently squeeze. So intentionally do a little gentle squeeze. And then as you inhale again, I want you to let it release release, release, release all the way, and then do just a little gentle bear down. So sometimes it's almost sort of this like, okay, if I squeeze it, then I can figure out how to release it. It's kind of like it turns something on in your brain that helps you to get that control back. Uh, back. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, 
and and that may not work for everybody at the beginning, right? So there may have to be some work done first on the tone. But for a lot of people, once you start getting that tone improved, they start to find that like, oh, I could do a gentle squeeze and a release. I can coordinate it with breathing, which now is going to turn on my, you know, get my parasympathetic nervous system engaged. Um, and so now maybe I can start to find that control of like, oh, okay, I can release my pelvic floor and get it to drop down into the chair that I'm sitting in, right? And now maybe I can figure out how to do that little gentle bear down and get that muscle to actually stretch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So we know that seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist can be helpful for people with IC to really assess and determine the condition of their pelvic floor and create an individualized plan for them. So are there some ways that someone might try pelvic floor training or or work on their own? Because I know some people just aren't able to afford it or don't have access. Yeah. Or they have a really long waiting list. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. We were just talking about that. Yes. Yeah. So what are, what are some things that folks can do for themselves if they kind of want to figure this out themselves? So most definitely, you know, if you can get in to see a pelvic therapist and have them do an assessment and get you started, definitely that is the most optimal and the most supreme, but you know, as you've identified and as, you know, Janelle talked about on your podcast or two ago that, you know, that there is really a shortage of pelvic PTs. Um, and I think it, it is just because our profession is so new. I think it's also because people are starting to figure out that this is something they can do. So the demand is going up mm-hmm. and we, we're not getting enough therapists out there to meet that demand. Um, but if you're wanting to try some things on your own, what you can do is you can actually um, insert your own thumb or finger. So wash your hands first, of course. Um, insert your own thumb or finger. Use a little lubricant if you need to, either you know water-based, made for the vagina, or a silicone-based. Um, lots of great brands out there. Um, but you can insert one thumb or finger into the vagina. The thumb tends to be the easiest. Um, and then the first thing that you would do is you don't want to hold your thumb your thumb or finger real stiffly, but you kind of want to let it soften a little bit and then just kind of gently push into that muscle. So if I'm on the the back wall of the vagina, I'm meant to have my pelvis model for all of this action. But if I push my, put my thumb into the vagina, if I push along that back wall towards the rectum um, and then just kind of feel, what does that muscle feel like to you? Does it feel nice and spongy? Does it feel really stiff like that hard brownie? Or do you feel something that feels like a hardcore or a rope. Um, so if it's really stiff and tight, then we can do some little gentle sort of contract, relax, stretching to help with that. Um, you can also press to the sidewalls too. So I can turn my thumb to the left. I can switch hands, turn, you know, turn to the right. So I can use my thumb to assess bottom left and right. The only direction you don't want to push, you don't want to push straight up to the pubic bone because that pushes on the urethra. Um, that's not going to feel good. It's going to tell you real fast. (laughs) You can work right next to the urethra, but you don't want to push straight on the urethra. So then what you can do is um, as you insert that thumb, feel that tone. If it feels really stiff, then, you know, maybe, and if it's really painful, then we want to do some really gentle squeezes. So keeping that thumb inserted, you'll take a breath in, And I always say breathe as if you're smelling freshly baked cookies. That just really gets like that whole like chest and trunk. You get like a really good diaphragmatic breath when you do that. So smell as if you're, uh, breathe as if you're smelling freshly baked cookies. 
And then as you exhale, do a very gentle squeeze around that thumb or finger. Hold that through the exhale. As you inhale, let it release completely. So you would repeat that about three or four times in a row. Just that inhale, exhale, gentle squeeze, inhale and release fully. So do that a couple of times. And then after the last repetition, um, kind of doing a little assessment in your head. Did each contraction, did it, was it painful? Did it get more painful? If it got more painful and you feel like you're getting more tone, then this is not going to be the right thing for you, at least not at this point. You might need to do some other work on your muscle tone first. But if you found that by the third, fourth repetition, like, oh, okay, that actually got a little less irritated, a little less stingy than by that last one, you can now add just a little gentle stretch. So I do a little contract, relax a couple times with my breathing. And then after the last release, while my muscles relaxed, I'm now going to add a little stretch to that muscle. And then you just hang out there for five slow breaths. So you could do this too with your wand, with your vaginal trainers, your dilators. Um, and so what this contract relax does is it does a couple of things. So, um, so this gets, in, gets into the, for the nerds in the audience who want like the, what's the physiology behind this? So what it does is when you contract your muscle, it turns on something called the Golgi tendon organ or the GTO that is in your muscle. So these little GTOs in the muscle, what their job is to do is to prevent a muscle from overworking or overstraining itself. So you get the spinal cord reflex that makes the muscle relax itself. So you turn on these little GTOs, that kind of forces the muscle to relax. So you can kind of think of this as like yoga for the pelvic floor muscle, right? So uh, if you have somebody with a lot of pain, I wouldn't send them to go do CrossFit per se, but maybe I'd send them to do yoga. Um, and maybe CrossFit's better down the road when they get you know healthier. But right now we need yoga for the pelvic floor. So the other thing that it does is it turns on the motor cortex of the brain. And when we turn on the motor cortex in the brain that controls the pelvic floor, that actually inhibits pain pathways. So all of that pain that's produced by your brain for the bladder, it actually inhibits that. And then we, when we turn on the motor cortex, the other thing is, is it, it also helps to reduce fear of movement and reducing fear of movement also helps to reduce pain. Um, it's also going to release endogenous opioids. So you have your own little pharmacy in your brain that helps with um, pain relief. Um, and then as we, again, as we combine it with that breath, it just gets your parasympathetic nervous system going too. It also gives you something that you can do for yourself where you're not just, because sometimes when you're using your, you've probably noticed this, that sometimes when you're using your wand and you're pushing on a muscle, it's almost like that muscle just sort of hits this plateau, like I just, I can't get it to do anything else <laughs> at this mm -hmm. point. So sometimes those little gentle contractions and relaxations, it just helps that muscle to start kind of working with you to, to create its own release. Does that make sense? Yeah. You yeah. just threw a lot of science at me and I'm just I'm digesting sorry. it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're like, it's so early. I'm so no, sorry. No, no, no. I'm sure it'll, it'll be great for a lot of the listeners. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I'm I'm just interested because I am a wand user and I've never really considered doing it like just with a finger. Yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing that I like about the finger and, uh, you know, this also brings me to some folks have, do have sort of an aversion to touching their own vagina. And sometimes that can contribute to, you know, anxiety and pain with, with the pelvic floor and interstitial cystitis. 
If that's something that's going on for someone, I highly recommend, you know, going to see a counselor to address that or getting getting someone to help them with that, because that can actually be a part of that pain cycle. But if you're cool with touching your vagina um, or even if you're just like, okay, I'm a little wiggy about it, but I'm willing to give it a shot. <laughs> um, one thing that I like is with you touching your own vagina, then that sensation of feeling the inside of your vagina and just being like, oh, there's lumps and bumps in there. Hmm. That's interesting. Is that normal? And it's normal. I'm going to tell you it's normal. <laughs> Whatever you feel is normal. Everything it's supposed to be lumpy and bumpy right so just feeling your own vagina starting to feel your own muscles and what they feel like your brain starts to get familiar with that space so if you think of you know the vagina is kind of this like cave that we can't see um so it's kind of this like darkened room that your brain doesn't know what's going on so now when your bladder is irritated um it's kind of like your brain heightens that message and you get heightened pain or heightened sensitivity because your brain's like we don't know what's going on down there and we need you to do something about it so i say it's kind of like stepping into a dark room so if i open if i go into a dark room in my house and i hear something move what's going to happen my heart's going to race i'm going to start breathing fast i'm going to be like or hold my breath one of the two i'm going to tense up like what was that is there a burglar in the house like what's going on um i flip on the light right so i flip on the light now i can see and like oh Okay, it's just the cat. The cat jumped off the counter. <laughs> right. And now I can calm down. Right. So now I can see what's in the room. So you can kind of, so we can't see what's in our vagina. We can see the vulva, right? So we can hold a mirror in front of our vulvar tissues and kind of see the outside. But to kind of air quotes, see the inside, if you insert a thumb or finger and start to kind of like, okay, this is this is what my muscles feel like. This is what that space feels like. Then it's kind of like your brain can start to map that out and that space starts to be a little less scary to your brain. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So it can be a really, and I often encourage folks, you know, do a combo of both. Like sometimes use your thumb, sometimes use your wand. It's, you know, use whatever you need in that moment that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other techniques that you like to use with the pelvic floor muscle training that you were talking about? Yeah. So I love to do, um, imagery. So imagery can be a great, um, tool. And I don't know, have you done any imagery Callie with, has anybody ever walked you through some imagery techniques? Um, maybe, but nothing that I can remember recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So, um, so, uh, one of the techniques I like to do, so if I'm Oftentimes I'll do this if I'm doing manual therapy with a patient. So this is how I'll introduce it to them. Um, so let's say, you know, I have my finger inserted vaginally and we have found kind of a tender spot. So I'll just kind of sit, sit gently on that spot and then I'll tell the patient. So I'll just kind of give a couple of examples, but I'll start with one that most people respond really well to. So I'll say, you know, imagine at the tip of my finger and you can do this to yourself. So you could insert your own thumb or finger, find a tender spot. And then imagine that there is a warm dot of color at the tip of my finger. So whatever color in your brain that you're like, that color is, I associate that with warmth and calm and relaxation. That's the color that I want you to imagine. So imagine that warm dot of color at the tip of my finger. And now with each breath that you take in, so that slow breath is if you're smelling some freshly baked cookies with each breath, just imagining that warm dot slowly spreading through the muscle. And then just depending on what's going on with the patient, we could talk about, you know, it's, it's going to go 
that muscle that's going to spread to your urethra. And then with the next breath, it spreads to your bladder and the next breath it spreads into your hip joint, you know, your SI joint. So basically wherever that person needs it, anywhere from their foot to their head to maybe even outside of their body. I had a patient one time that was like, it feels like my pain is right here outside of my hip. I'm like, okay, warm dot of color goes outside of your body, wherever you need it. Um, and people respond really well. That's one that a lot of folks respond really well to. Um, so some other examples are, imagine that your pelvic floor muscles are made of taffy. Um, and so uh, that imagine that it's taffy that's in the warm sun. So with each breath that you take in, that taffy just softens and elongates and expands and it just gently opens up. So you can just sort of imagine those muscles just sort of gently elongating. Um, I don't use the word stretch because most people think of the word stretch as like tight, like I'm making that muscle like long and tight. So I think more like elongate, expand, soften, um, where, where the muscles kind of loosening up. Um, another one is imagining that your pelvic floor muscles are made of butter um, and that that butter is sitting on a warm plate. And with each breath in, that butter just slowly sort of softens and melts. Um, another example for folks who like the beach, if you don't like the beach and you don't like sand, this is not a good one for you. If you don't like the beach, that <laughs> uh, is a red flag for me, but that's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Me too, but hey, there are some folks who just, they don't like the beach. Yeah. But if you like the beach, you can imagine like being there in like July, August, you know, when the water is actually a little warm and imagine just kind of sitting in that surf water, just kind of right at the edge of the water. And so you're sitting, your buttocks are supported, your sit bones are supported by that warm, squishy sand. And then with each lap of the water over your legs, that occurs with each breath in. And then with each lap of the water, your buttocks are kind of sinking and supported <clears throat> excuse me, into, into that warm sand and your, your muscles can kind of soften and rest into that. And then what I encourage folks to do is, you know, take about two minutes each day, because I'd rather you do it for a short time every single day than try to do it for like 10 minutes, one day a week, but take two minutes a day. And if one of these resonates with you, just like lay on your bed or get in your recliner or lay on your couch, whatever, and just practice this imagery and if you practice it every day, it, it's kind of like exercising this little muscle in your brain that you can tap into that now when you're Callie in that space of like, I feel my pelvic floor muscles squeezing. If you've been practicing this imagery, then you can be like, okay, let me get my warm dot of color in my head. Okay. Now my muscles can release. So the more you practice it, it becomes this thing that you can sort of quickly access. Um, and as I tell patients, you know, you may not always be able to use your wand, but you can always use your brain, right? So if I'm in the middle of a meeting, I can't be like, hold on, guys, I'm going to get my wand out for a second, right? But you can sort of do this moment of like, okay, let me tap into my breathing. Let me tap into this imagery. Okay, I got my muscles to release. That's at least going to tide me over until later when I can, you know, soak in the warm tub or sit on my cold pack or use my fire crotch bomb. Did I say that right? Or yeah. Or do my wand. So then that that kind of gives you something that you can use to get you to the next thing that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all those are great ideas. Thank, yeah, and I started saying, um, I used to give a color. Um, and then one day I kind of um, said to a patient, I was like, you know, imagine like warm yellow sunshine at my fingertip. And she was like, well, you know, a warm color for me is actually like pink sunset. I was like, oh, I've been trying to give people a color and that's not necessarily like you said, figure yeah. out what works for you. Right. So I realized the color that works for me doesn't work for other people. So I've heard things all over the rainbow from green, blue, sunset, 
pinks, oranges, russet, uh, lavender. I had a patient one time that was like, it's like a soft lavender. <laughs> so it's whatever, whatever works for you. So whatever. So I'm just curious, what was your warm color? I've been thinking about that as you were talking and it's hard, it's hard to say, but I think my gut reaction goes to orange. I don't know why. A lot of people say orange, like variations. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's kind of that like sunset type sunset. orange. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, this, this has all been really helpful. Do you have any final take home messages for the listeners? Yeah. So, you know, I would say that, you know, what I, what I'm definitely not saying is you should listen to this podcast and be like, Oh, I'm going to start doing Kegels. That is definitely not the message that I'm trying to get out there for folks with IC, but um, but knowing that that some of these gentle exercises combined with breathing, that sometimes this can help you start getting control of those muscles again, can start reducing that tone, tap into some of that physiology to help reduce some of the pain. Um, just know that if you try some of these techniques, if it seems to make your symptoms worse, it's not the right thing for you. Um, either, either it's just not the right thing now because you need some other things first, or maybe it's never the right thing for you. So maybe that's never a good thing. Maybe for you figuring out, you know, using bearing down is a good thing for you. Um, and so just kind of realizing that this could be something useful for you and, and it's worth, you know, giving it a try. You won't hurt anything by trying it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But don't be afraid to use your pelvic muscles. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a really great takeaway from this. Um, is there anything else that we did not talk about that you wanted to get in there? Not that I can think of. Not that I, I feel like of. we packed this episode with a lot of information. People may need to listen to it twice. If that's the case, I'm so sorry, but I'm not sorry at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love your podcast, Callie. I love just your very balanced approach. I love how you really just, you know, encourage folks to kind of figure out their path and their journey. Um, and I, I think that's where, you know, a, a lot of us healthcare providers, um, you know, that work with patients who have pain or chronic pain conditions. I think that, I think, you know, when you find the provider that says, you know, let me do what you need, what we need to do for you. And maybe the thing that works for most people doesn't work for you. I think that's a good provider to be working with. So thank you for getting that message out to folks. Oh, you are so welcome. And thank you for giving us an hour of your time this morning. This has been so helpful. Oh my gosh, this has been so fun. Like I told you, I can talk all day. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this that's is so funny. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. Perfect. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, Please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Callie K Nutrition.